Before we get started, I need to thank three new Patreon patrons. Thank you, Matthew Taylor, Daryl Hutchins, and Charlie Mueller for becoming patrons of the original cast. Three incredibly dapper and intelligent people, if I do say so myself. And I do say so myself, because they have joined at exactly the right time. Because you have now gained access to the original cast at the movies here in the year of Barbara. And what a year it has been, and what a year it continues to be. If you go over to patreon.com slash originalcastpod, you can listen to us talk about What's Up, Doc? You can listen to us talk about Funny Girl. You can listen to us talk about Funny Lady. You can listen to us talk about All Night Long, which was just really not a great movie. You can listen to us talking about Nuts. Come listen to us talk about Nuts. Richard Dreyfuss is back on Broadway as a character. Come listen to us talk about Nuts. Go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod. Become a patron of the original cast. Gain access to the original cast of the movies and support the art that you love. Patreon.com slash originalcastpod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. I'll be honest, if you listen to a podcast about original cast albums, my guest probably needs no introduction. But just in case, he's the Tony-nominated composer of Be More Chill. It's Joe Iconis, everybody! Hey, everyone. I'm very excited to be here. We're excited that you're that you're you're with us, Joe. You're out in uh, at La Jolla at the moment, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. At La Jolla Playhouse, working on the untitled, unauthorized Hunter right. S. Thompson musical. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely talk about that, and we'll talk about all your other work, I'm sure, as well. But first of all, you're here to talk about the best little whorehouse in Texas. It's just a little bitty pissant country place. Nothing much to see. No drinking allowed. We get a nice white crowd. How did the best little whorehouse in Texas come into your life? You know, um, the way that it came into my life was I uh, I grew up um, I grew up on on Long Island uh, with a family who were not particularly artsy people. You know, I, um, I had, uh, I had had some, you know, uh, my grandparents and, and, uh, and, uh, my, my aunt, they they would go to see shows from time to time because we lived in close proximity to the city. And so, uh, I sort of grew up, um, uh, being the person in my family who was the most impassioned, uh, about musical theater. Uh, I saw a little shop of horrors when I was six years old, and that gave me this total love of musical theater. And I uh, became obsessed with musicals when I was a kid. And so my, uh, my, uh, my mom, I guess my mom and my dad had a record collection uh, that was a really, really shitty record collection. You know, my, my, parents, <laughs> my parents grew up they grew up in the 60s and 70s and their taste in music is just it's awful it's just embarrassing <laughs> it's like they hated the beatles they hated jimi hendrix any any major oh, wow. artist that came out of the 60s and 70s was pretty much all of them um my parents just never never liked like had oh wow no no sense of it they listened to like the squarest shittiest music uh for all okay. those years and so um for, so most of the record collection was was not uh, great. Uh, however, there were some random cast albums in the collection that being a lover of musical theater, I immediately gravitated toward. And uh, a bunch of the cast albums were shows that I knew real well. And I was little, you know, so I'm talking like nine or ten here. Um, but, you know, they had the, the big shows of the 70s, right? So Jesus Christ Superstar and uh, and Godspell. And then we had like going into the 80s, there was a 42nd Street and, uh, you know, and an Annie um, and all those I knew. But uh, there was this other show that was the best little whorehouse in Texas. And so the um, the artwork for whorehouse is it's one of my favorite favorite show designs of all time it's like a really gorgeous arresting uh cover Mm -hmm. and the you know the the vinyl the lp um it's you know a a gloriously sized uh piece of work and so the cover was just like what the hell is this like being a child like looking at the you know the mashup of like of like rope 
and and wood that looks like it's whizzing through the air and the literal state of Texas and then like sexy lady legs coming out of a television. It's just like it's there's so much going on. And so I was really intrigued by it. And also, you know, being a kid and seeing the word uh, the whorehouse and the title of something was just like, a, what, they're allowed to do that? Oh, my God, I had no idea. And so I started listening to it and just immediately fell in love with, it, you know, and so I became really obsessed with the show. And certainly at the time, and this is, you know, like, uh, like early 90s, there just wasn't a lot of information about that original production it's one of those weird shows that that i that you know it, that used to happen it, you know it happened in the in the certainly in the you know the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and then kind of you know a little bit in the 80s and a little bit in the 90s and then not so much anymore where you could be this a hit show you know you could run for years and be a big hit no one really you know remembers you <laughs> so like no one really talks about about you a lot <laughs> And mm-hmm. and Horace was kind of one of those shows, even though they made the movie. Um, and so I just tried to, you know, like read anything I could about it. And anytime there was a picture of the of the production in any kind of like theater compendium book, I would obsess over it. And I um I really spent so much time trying to like recreate the production in my brain based on this cast album and based on what I could call from the cast album and the the interior of the, you know, the the gatefold of the LP. Sure. So that's my my origin story. It's it is it is really a microcosm of that kind of show. You're because there's no stars in it per se. There's no like you know big Broadway mm-hmm. names or you know certainly not big movie star names in it. It's written by a, you know a journalist and another playwright from Texas because it is based on a, a an expanded version of a true story, and mm-hmm. the score is by Carol Hall, obviously who is a well-known songwriter at the time but not a broadway composer so there's no there's no like big broadway names on this thing and you're right it just sort of it comes up and it exists and then it kind of goes away and but it was a massive hit at the time for winning very few tony awards and doing all that stuff it ran for a nice chunk of time yeah for sure and people loved it you know it was Mm -hmm. like it it was a it was a it was a and it was a, a real sort of like homegrown you know, downtown hit like it, mm-hmm. you know, it started at the um, I think it started at the actor's studio, I believe. And then uh, then it played off Broadway at the Intermedia. And then, you know, they played the the uh, 46th Street for three right. years and bounced all around. It was like, I mean, tons of people saw it. It was huge. And like you say, it was big enough to be made into a movie with Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. So certainly no slashes yeah. they. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was yeah, a big, no, of course, <laughs> it was a big deal. Uh, I think this might fall under the category of a lot of Broadway shows from this period where people know the title and might know a couple tracks, but don't actually know what the show is about. So do you think you mm-hmm. could sum- briefly summarize for the audience, the plot of the best little whorehouse in Texas? Um, for sure. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of like a, like a docu musical, you know, it's mm-hmm. really a very story driven show. And the, the show is about a, uh, a whorehouse in Texas uh, that is run by a woman named Mona Stangley. And it, uh, this uh, whorehouse is this kind of, um, it's kind of this uh, beloved tradition uh, amongst the the gents of uh, this Texas town. And and it's the kind of thing where, you know, all these men are like, oh, my they went there and then my, my father went there and my boy will go there, you know. <laughs> um, and it's this, it's this weird thing where it's kind of like, it's it's it feels very wholesome you know it's like mm-hmm. it's this like very sweet sort of like country thing and so it's about it's about miss mona who runs the the spot and uh and the girls who who work there and her relationship with the sheriff in town um who it's, it's kind of this uh it's kind of this this sort of unspoken love affair kind of deal with this sort of older sheriff in town and uh and and the 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 crux of the show is that there's a, a television evangelist who uh, decides to make this whorehouse his uh, latest mission and uh, decides that he's going to he's going to try to get it shut down. And so the whole show is about this uh, this man, Melvin P. Thorpe, who's trying to shut down this whorehouse and all of the sort of political stuff that happens because of that and the upheaval in the town and how people take sides and uh yeah and it's that it's based on a true story 
Uh, yes. And it's this place called but the, the Chicken Ranch is the name mm-hmm. of the, the whorehouse. And, uh, and yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it. And so it's really, it really, um, I think more than people realize it's, it's very much an ensemble show where, you know, obviously Miss Mona is, is kind of a, you know, she's a, a big character, but it's not necessarily Miss Mona's story in the way that the movie, they kind of made the movie mm-hmm. very focused on, on Miss Mona and, and Sheriff Ed Earl because, you know, it was Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. So of course, um, right. But in, in the show, it feels really spread out. It's really, um, uh, up, to me, appealingly ensemble-driven in a way that very few shows are. And you really get the sense of the community and the the government of the state. And it's, it's uh, I, I just think there's nothing like it. It's got some excellent multicasting, too, with uh, the character of Scruggs, Chip Brewster, and the governor all being played by one one performer, which I just yeah. I love, yeah. a great a great comedic turn that he can that he can take. It's Jay Garner in the original recording. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a really. I mean, I assumed before I knew what the show was that it w- took place years ago. You know, it took place kind of in the old west, or at least in the Depression mm-hmm. or something back when. Because it is, like you say, sort of the the uh, the brothel you would see in a lot of those like fifties Westerns where it's like all these women wearing these clothes, but it's not really clear what they're doing. You know, it's very chaste in that way in the TV show. It's sort of like, Oh, that's just where the women hang out at the bar and everybody knows what they do. But like, if you're six and watching, you know, Maverick, it's not really kind of clear to you what this, what is happening. Uh, yeah. So that's what I assumed. Yeah, no. I didn't realize it was contemporary to night. You know, it's 1970s New York or excuse me. It's 1970s Texas. And like, this is, is going on mm-hmm. contemporary and it's really that old school style of like the madam and her girls and it's it's upright pillar of the community stuff like that character in gone with the wind you know it has that kind of like <laughs> old world quality that butts really nicely up against uh the tech the the t like you say televangelism tv report like this guy who's just decided to make this a thing and he can mm-hmm. cause all kinds of trouble for them just by mentioning them on his television show and yeah. he does I like the uh, the watchdog theme was a moment on this album listening to that i had forgotten how long that song was it just sort of goes on and on and on watchdog will get you if you don't watch out watchdog sees and watchdog knows watchdog keeps us on our toes watchdog assures you that the law's the law no exceptions to the rule. Watchdog ain't no fool. Watchdog protects you. He's out on the prowl. Guards and checks the best he can. Watchdog is a fighting man. Watchdog will throw his beam of light around if some folks don't toe the line. Watch dogs light will shine. I know. I love. I love that you said that because it's. Um, I always. I loved that song when I was a kid, and uh, it's one of those. It's one of those songs. You know, it's the for people who don't know it. It's like it's the theme song to this this TV show that that Melvin P. Thorpe has, and um, it's in like another show. It would be like twenty seconds long, mm-hmm. but here it's kind of like a it's like a full song. It just goes it on. Just keeps going. For, yeah, for far longer than you'd ever, ever think. And it's really good. It's really fun. Like it's in another show, it yeah. would be a skip track. And it's not a skip track. It's like you just you listen through and you you get your money's worth out of it. Well, and it's the kind of song that I think Carol Hall writes very well. And it's yeah. for, for people who don't know who Carol Hall is. If you're if you're my age and I suspect also possibly your age, you are mostly familiar with her work. Uh, probably maybe unknowingly through Free to Be You and Me. So they sneaked in the living room and all the pillows up and made it a rocket ship to fly in and the bears were their girls and boys and they were the astronauts who lived on the moon with one pet lion singing glad to have a friend like you fair and fun and skipping mercury glad to have a friend like you and glad to just be glad to just be glad to just be Yeah, she wrote three tracks on that on the, that show, and she the, it, it's that that kind of song. That song and the Aggie song have this similar like comedic repetition 
where you don't think she's got one more verse in this joke, and then she does. The third verse is actually the one or the fourth that she like saved the best part of the jokes for. Twenty-two miles until we get to heaven. Twenty-two miles until our plans are laid. Twenty-two miles until we get to the chicken ranch where. To give everybody some context, I do want to say, like, as we say, I thought this took place in the in the, in the 30s or, or whenever. But like this is the, 1979 or 78 when this opened is kind of a weird <laughs> transitional year for Broadway in some ways. The best musical that year was Sweeney Todd. Maybe you've heard of it. But the other sort of nominees are Ballroom and they're playing our song for best musical. Mm-hmm. And also opening mm-hmm. that year is, is Jerry Herman's The Ground, The Grand Tour, which I'm sure a lot of listeners to the show have are familiar with. And it's an odd little eclectics i mean could you think of two shows that are sort of more different than like sweeney todd and they're playing our song or this and they're playing our song i mean a two-hander musical like they're playing our song is so like just unusual up against these other kind of larger like i mean this is contemporary composer but it is a very traditional kind of broadway comedy ensemble type show like you were saying Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that I think I initially responded to about it and one of the things that I I, I think was so, you know, in, inspiring to me and influential on me is that um, the fact that, you know, Carol Hall's score is uh, is so, you know, such great, I think, you know, classic musical theater writing. The bones mm-hmm. of it are so strong. And, um, and then the, on the surface, it's really, you know, kick-ass, authentic 70s country rock and country mm-hmm. soul. But it's the, you know, the, like, the, those, those songs work as 70s country songs in a way that very few musicals, I think, are able to actually capture the spirit uh, of, a, of a pop sound uh, in the way that, 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 whorehouse captured that 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 70s country thing um that was really specific to the time and still sounds so cool um but i love that they do that and also those songs are just like such good musical theater songs the lyric is so good in all of them the music is so good you can you can sit down and play those songs on piano you know and you you're you're equally as satisfied as if you have a band which i think is like the mark of a good song you know you don't need the arrangement to get whatever you're going to get out of the song it's, it's all there in the writing um the arrangement just you know augments and 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 raises it up and it is like it's interesting that you say that because i think that that idea of like the broadway pop or rock so like when broadway tries to go pop or rock is something that they're playing our song does not succeed at to me that they're yeah. those characters are pop songwriters in quotation marks but they're really marvin hamlish broadway too like they're you know they're not they're not writing pop material. It's a very, very different kind of sound. And it's not something every composer can kind of just do. You know, there's a rock sensibility that I think is a little sometimes at odds with with the, where composers who write shows come from. Oh, 100 percent. And also, I mean, most, you know, I've, I, I most people who write uh, musicals are, are very, very not cool at all. Uh, just so <laughs> so painfully uncool and they think that they are cool which is right. wh- where i feel like you get a lot of these these really embarrassing attempts at you know mm-hmm. at pop music and theater um so when there's something like whorehouse that that i mean you know in my humble opinion is, is very authentic and is and is yeah. really cool and uh, it's, you know, it, it's like effortless because it's like, I don't think Carol Hall was like, you know, trying. And she's not, it's like, it also, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a score that sounds like it was written by someone who's, you know, who was like coming from, you know, country music or something. And she's not, she's a, she's, Carol is a New York City musical theater oh, writer. Oh, yeah. You know, she was yeah, absolutely for real musical theater writer, but she was just a really fucking good writer. And, and, it, and so it's, you know, you get, you get that, uh, that the spirit of the thing in such a beautiful way. It's one of the big, like, I'm not a huge fan of, of Greece at all, or, but having talked recently, not too long ago anyway, with Julie Benko about Greece mm-hmm. too, and then Shoshana Greenberg about Greece on the show, I have come to appreciate that aspect of it, that like, those are actual mm-hmm. authentic rock songs with music theater sensibilities to them. And yeah. 
when you hear, like I say, it's one of the great things about some of these scores and some composers can do it. And, and some just, you know, it's just not in their wheelhouse and not everybody has to be yeah. good at everything. Um, but there is a difference between like a rock score and like, you know, a like Jekyll and Hyde, which some people have called me to mm-hmm. like a rock score. I'm like, that's music theater score with electric guitars. There's a very, very big difference between <laughs> those two. Yeah. Those two it's ideas. Just a different, simply a different thing. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. Both are good in their own, in their own way, but it is a, like oh. you say, it's part of the fun. Well, okay. But it's, part of the, <laughs> it's part of the fun of the, of the show to me though, is you're right. That like these sound very, the, the country songs really put you, in the time and place. It not only sounds like country, it sounds like seventies country, you know, late seventies country music that was, you would have heard, you know, if you listen to any of those old recordings, it has that same sensibility to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so, I mean, that's the other thing. And I think that country is an especially tricky genre because it is so easy to uh, do a, have country songs sound like they're parodying themselves. And especially when you have musical theater writers doing country, it always sounds so like, it's like, it can't help but make fun of itself, you know, because, sure. because the writers, the writers looking down at the, at the style or the writer, the writers looking at the genre of country music and thinking, Oh, this is so simple, you know? Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden everything becomes like this, you know, it's like, like children's music or something um, like nursery rhymes, but it's the, you know, I love that the 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 whorehouse score is uh it's you know it has all of the it has all of the um you know in in, uh nuance and and specificity and um you know the complicated uh you know uh, turns and everything that that you know uh, that actual 70s country music did uh in addition to just like rocking out you know Mm -hmm. it's very very appealing very appealing to me is it is this a show that you have found yourself coming back to as you, you know, as your career progresses, as you go on? Have you ever popped in the show and been like, oh, this is interesting or that's something I hadn't heard before. This is something I can take from, you know, that they did here that I can can learn from. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you know, I, I have a funny relationship with cast albums when I was when I was young uh, through through high school. I exclusively listened to cast albums. I didn't really know that there were, there was other type of music, right? I was aware of it, but I didn't really, you know, um, engage with it. Like in, in high school, I, people used to say, when people would say like, Oh, who's your favorite band? I would say Hedwig and the Angry Ant because no one had ever heard of that at that point. <laughs> and I thought that that was cool. Yeah. Um, but, but then, and then, you know, I got to college and I started listening to all this music that was not cast albums. And mm-hmm. so and so in my adult life, when I come back to cast albums, it's usually really specific. It's like something that I'm, I'm really, really feeling. And, um, and uh, there are a few that I've, that I've, that I've returned to uh, many times, but Whorehouse is definitely one that I always go back to uh, just to listen, listen for pleasure. Uh, but also I, I, I mean, literally on this show I'm working on right now, uh, Hunter Thompson show, you know, it takes place, uh, it bounces all over in time, but it, it takes place largely in the sixties and the seventies. And so I, uh, keep, you know, I, I, I've been listening to like actual sixties and seventies music sort of nonstop, uh, you know, to just kind of get it in my bones, but I'm also trying to get inspired by pieces of theater from the sixties and seventies and eighties that, that, um, you know, uh, intersected with pop genres and, and just sort of like, you know, uh, try to try to get them in my bones as, as well. Ones that I think are, are real great, like, you know, hair, obviously, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I love inner city, inner city is another great one. And, um, uh, and inner city mother goose, if, uh, you like to call it by its full name, uh, <laughs> but, but a whorehouse, even though it's country, uh, which is not necessarily a style that, that there's all that much of in 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 Hunter. Um, it's it 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 has really really inspired me. And you know, there's stuff like um, like Twenty Four Hours Eleven, uh, mm-hmm. which is just like one of the. I mean that that song is like one of the absolute great, you know, pop musical theater songs ever. And it's you know whether you call it soul or R and B or whatever, it, it's a it it is just like that is. You know, if you, I love that it's that song is like this, this like this funk song that has, you know, like country steel guitar on, or slide guitar on it. But like if you, you know, if you slightly reorchestrated that song, that could have been, uh, you know, a hit for Polaris Hall 
uh, <laughs> um, you know, on like fucking Casablanca records. Sure, and right, and yeah. That, that song is just like, oh my god. There's an hour of sweet, sweet lips. There's an hour of a little dance and a little playing around me. Well, cause there's an hour of this and that. There's an hour of tit for tat. There's an hour of a little kid when the charms of hidden get found. Yeah. And then it's 24 hours of loving y'all. 24 hours. The vocal quality of the ensemble is something that I I actually keep going back to on this show mm. because I just like, you know, I, I, I really respond to a very uh, blunt sound when it comes to choral singing. You know, I really like, mm. uh, I like in, in, in anything, but in shows when it feels like the, um, the sort of group vocals have real purpose and real drive and aren't overly arranged. Uh, mm. I don't like I don't like singing that sounds that sounds like a chorus concert, and I don't like singing that sounds too clean. Um, basically, uh, all Broadway shows now feature choral singing that is very clean. That's just like it's something I've never liked, and now it is like so the style. You know, mm-hmm. it's like and, pe- pe- and and people people are trying to do it. Like it's not I'm not sure. knocking it. I just it's it's a sound that I despise. And it's just something that never used to be done. And so like on an album, like, like, Morehouse, you know, the, my, I love it in like um, the uh, little bitty pissant country place. It's like when mm-hmm. all the, when all the girls come in for the first time, they're like singing in unison. It's like 10 women just, mm-hmm. you know, ripping it up, singing, singing the melody line in unison. And it's just something you'd never hear in a million years today. And it is so powerful. It is so powerful. It is so it is so tied to who those characters are. It is so tied to what they're trying to say. And it's like they don't need to they don't need to, you know, put any quotation marks around what they're saying. They don't need to sugarcoat what they're saying. They're just saying it. And you actually learn something about the characters from from the vocal arrangement. And it just hits you in the gut in in such a direct electrifying way. And it's uh, was something that I love that's on this album and on a lot of albums from the time in the group moments, uh, people aren't trying to blend. The chorus mm-hmm. is not trying to blend. They're not trying to unify their sound. So it sounds like one voice. They are all singing the way they sing. And mm-hmm. that the, the sort of clash of different voices and slightly different vowel sounds all singing together is something that sounds uh, very alive to me. And, uh, you know, I like when theater is live. That's why they call it theater. You, know? <laughs> you, you have. Yeah. You, you've given voice to something I've said on this show a couple of times, which is that there, there is a uh, and clean is the best uh, word for it. I think I mean, sanitized would be the most negative way to put it. But there is something yeah. in the the sloppiness of cast albums before, I guess, Pro Tools. I'm not sure what came in to sort of make isolated tracks kind of the way yeah. that we, we do things but you know there's something very alive about a cast album that was recorded in one day in one studio with everybody mm-hmm. and there are mistakes on it there are moments where like i mean my, my prime example that i always point to to people is on the company cast album during the opening number when they're singing that big note that they hold forever and elaine stretch is too close to the mic and just a little <laughs> bit out of pitch and it's great like i absolutely i can hear like you say they don't blend i can hear her clear as yeah. day <laughs> that group
Yeah, I just don't. I just don't understand it. It's it's over. It's both. I mean, now so now it's actually like two things, right? So now it's the over. It is the over tuning and the over mm-hmm. um, perfecting of every sound. And so now you know, and it and this is all. It's all depending on the sort of creative team of every of every album of every show, sure. whatever. Um, uh, you know, but you you can if you want go through and you can edit literally every single individual sound that is on the album right including every single person in the orchestra you know you can edit those sounds and make them you know quote unquote perfect lining everything up so it is exact uh and what you the resulting sound is something that sounds perfect in the way a computer is perfect and so if that is what you want, if that is what you think sounds good, more power to you. I think it sounds hideous. And I also think that it is going to age so poorly. I oh, watch yeah. these things. I watch, I watch these movies where the, you know, that these musical movies and the person is speaking and then they start singing and it's immediately a different voice and it's auto-tuned. And I just think you people are absolutely shooting yourselves in the foot. This is going to sound so laughable in like in minutes you know what i mean like it's not even going to be a a decade before some of these movies that people have been heralding are going to be so mercilessly made fun of because of these ridiculous choices and so my you know one of of my goals is always to not ever 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 do that on on stuff that i make but also because i just don't i don't like it and i don't care if it's popular uh i didn't like it then i don't like it now and, and you know i'd like to think that it I'd like to think that it'll go out of style just because I'm sick of hearing it. And, you know, the other thing that is so nuts is that because that sound is so popular, now people actually sing to try to emulate oh, that yeah. sound. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People, people modify their vowels to sound like, like a pitch-corrected voice. And kids yeah. do it, which is so crazy. I work with a lot of kids, Oof. and it is so nuts seeing young people, like, try to sing in a way that sounds like a computer fix their voice it's crazy yeah you you are i mean now we're, we're drifting right into my wheelhouse because like theater education <laughs> to me has really hit some kind of bizarre cookie cutter sort of system that is driving me nuts as we, <laughs> yeah we sort of stamp but which is what they want like it's it's that terrible thing of when i work with students like they want to be they want to be mm-hmm. in the cookie cutter they want because it feels yeah. secure i get that it's very secure to get like i'll just do that and then when i do that i will be a success whatever that you know whatever that means and we're losing so much of the edges of that sort of frayed sides of things that makes unique performers interesting um yeah and i what i wonder how much you you said the very interesting thing i i think you said about people not singing in unison anymore just ticked my brain to how complicated arrangements you know we have so many everybody's a very trained singer now obviously in 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 new york and and then that's Mm -hmm. great because it you know it helps with vocal health there's a lot of goods to that um so they can sing these complicated harmonies that people write but it it you lose that the power of the harmonies i think of the moment the 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 thing that made it made me think of when you said it is that during the oldest establishment in guys and dolls which is, you know, good mm-hmm. old reliable Nathan, which is all in unison the whole time until yep. they get to the end and they sing that hymn. And it yeah. suddenly has this tremendous impact where you're like, oh, these guys really do take this seriously. And it's funny. You know, it's a good <laughs> button joke on the song. It's the oldest established permanent blowing crap game in New York. Yeah, no, you're so 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 right on. Yeah, and so so in so many shows now, I'll it's so overly arranged, and I'll listen to it, and I'll be mm-hmm. like, I don't know what is the, what is even the melody? Like, what is what are we like deviating from? I can't mm-hmm. even tell because it's just it's just a wash of of <laughs> people singing something or other in a way that sounds like it's just computers singing something or other to me. So, how do you fight against that? Like how are when you when you write a show how do you fight against that sort of sensibility that you're you know cuz you are fi- you're working against the tide at the moment how do you how do you incorporate that into into the work Oh I just don't I just don't do it 
It's actually really, it's really, it's, it's really easy. <laughs> it's like, it's actually, it's the easiast thing in the world. Cause I, I just don't do it. Uh, Cause I don't, and I, and I, I surround myself with people who either also don't have a taste for it or, um, or are, are cool to let it drop mm-hmm. for the, the thing I'm, I'm working on. Um, but also it goes down to, you know, it's like, it, it just, it's, um, it's like, a, it's a sensibility thing and it's a taste thing. And mm-hmm. I, I work with I work with people who I think that uh, many of us share uh, a similar taste in things. And and so then a lot of that shit you don't have to explain. But also mm-hmm. as far as like the singing part, you know, I I I work with with people who are great actors and um and sometimes they those great actors also happen to have extraordinary uh voices and sometimes they happen to have fine voices um and they're all like as a package wonderful and they all always have a lot of charisma and so it's like that it's like and and so even just the the way that all of my projects have been cast it's really different than how other musicals are are often cast and i i just Mm. know from you know knowing people and also from you know being married to an actor and uh, most of my friends are actors and and knowing you know the things they they don't get and then seeing who gets it and it's like you know i've never once uh cast or not cast an actor because they couldn't hit a certain note that i had decided Mm. was necessary to my score and it's and that's me you know there are other writers who it's like oh this person must sing an a or b or c or whatever that's that is how they, you know, uh, move through their, you know, their, their art. And that's what's important to them. And it's just not important to me uh, because Mm. my taste lies in, in musicals, mostly of your, where everyone had personality and people were great actors and things felt a little looser. um, And to me felt a lot more honest and, and a hell of a lot more exciting. You know, we talk about Olin Stritch, and, uh, you know, everyone with the Sweeney Todd revival, everyone, I feel like everyone and their mother, you know, it's like honoring and Angela Lansbury, very you for being so great and all this, this shit. And I, I, you know, could not help but think there would truly be no such thing as Lang Perry, you or Angela oh, Lansbury. They Lord. were born yeah. today. They, would, they wouldn't think Angela Lansbury would not get cast in one goddamn nope. musical ever. Nope. Ever. ever. In 10 million years, she wouldn't get cast in a musical. And so, and, and, and that's fine, but I do think it's funny that like, you know, all these people we put up on a pedestal, um, they're, they're, they're not, there's not necessarily a next generation of them. We can pretend yeah. that some of these people that we put on a pedestal currently are that they are not yeah. that. And we're, we're going to see it, uh, you know, very soon. We oh, just yeah. I will, mean, you know, the, the big example I always bring up because he's still around is Mandy Patinkin. Like, there's never yeah. been a more distinct personality in musical theater in America, certainly in my lifetime. And yeah. if you if you brought that energy, what he brings to an audition room today, you would never make it. You just certainly would Oh, my wouldn't. God. <laughs> can, can, can you imagine? You imagine? <laughs> can you imagine Mandy Patinkin going, to, uh, going into audition for Back to the Future? Like, what on what planet would... Would it anyone would, survive that? Right. It wouldn't. Yeah. Because yeah. it would. You wouldn't know. You. You just don't. You don't know what to do with it. It doesn't. It wouldn't make any sense. I don't think to anybody in that casting room at all. If you ha- obviously, we. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say because we have Mandy Patinkin as a reference point, but it is that that distinct personality thing is it. But it's also still who succeeds. It's still who makes it. The people who are big stars. Mm-hmm are those people who have broken through with the big personalities. They're maybe sanded around the edges again, the ones, but the ones who sustain to me feel, yeah. feel like they're still, so that's still what we want. It's still what we crave, but it's not what we're producing at all. It's, it, out it's, of what, the it's what we, sector. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's what we crave. It's not what we're producing. And it's, and it's harder for those people. It's harder for those people to get to that place these days. It just simply is, you know, I know yeah. everything is in cycles and it's, it's never been easy, but it's harder for people like that. To, yeah. to break out of it all it really really is um but it's like you you know on on whorehouse like you know carlin glenn and henderson Forsyth as the yeah as the, you know <laughs> the, like the, the romantic the romantic leading couple like first of all it's like right. they're both they're both 
incredible, incredible actors and and really great singers who, whose voices are so perfect for these characters. And so and so, you know, perfect for this material. Like, do I want to hear Henderson Forsythe, you know, do a a, a, a concert of, you know, uh, Gilbert right. Sullivan? I'm not going to buy it. his album, uh, you know, like if he puts prob- one out. Right. <laughs> probably not. I probably won't. I, I right. actually lies. I, I would. Have. You would. I OK, would you like would. Yeah, album. right. But I understand <laughs> that maybe not everyone wants that but his th- there could be no more perfect human beings to sing mm-hmm. uh you know good old girl on on yeah. this album he's so and just so much personality and and it sounds like a human being singing carlin glenn can totally knock out that 70s um you know female country singer uh you know sort of affected vocal um you know blunt take on this material but also it's like she sounds like a person she sounds like an actual mm-hmm. real live woman uh singing and uh and it's 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 something that is like you know again could could never imagine actors like that being cast today and the other thing that i love is that you know i mean it's something that i love about the show and about the casting of the show these are two adult people you know mm-hmm. they are it is that is they are it is a musical about adults and the the closest that you get to a full romance in the show is by you know i think i would imagine that carlin glenn slash miss mona is i I think of her as like 50s maybe and i think Mm -hmm. that sheriff edderall dodd is probably like 60s and it's like they're they're, they don't make things about people that age and if and you know and if they do certainly today you know things about people that age are cast with people in their 20s and their 30s you know and there's a big big difference and and uh i just think it's really exciting and it it feels so much fresher to me to have uh characters you know in that age bracket experiencing these things and actors who are also in that age bracket uh portraying them you know it just adds this Mm -hmm. like it adds this 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 depth that you just can't you can't fake you know Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's very true. It, it is a a time period and a, and a style and a story. It, it all exists kind of perfectly in that late 70s era. I mean, this show, I don't think would have gotten made much later. Certainly not. I mean, you get to 82 and it's cats already or 83. Like, so I think this show is yeah very much in that in that time. And it it is lucky that it got put up what it did so that it can be the nostalgia piece that it is for some people. Uh yeah. And live. Yeah, because it's very, very difficult, um, as you know, to put on a show. Speaking of which, you're out there putting (laughs) on a show. So let me ask, you seem to be in your material, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you really seem to be drawn to, and one of the things I noticed about about Whorehouse specifically in, in relation to you, to kind of outsiders and those who feel left behind by the culture and... Mm-hmm. who are still just trying trying their best to sort of get through it. And Hunter Thompson is certainly that, but he's also a force of nature on his own, sort of willfully against the culture in a lot of ways. Uh, so how did you get interested and involved in the untitled, unauthorized Hunter S. Thompson musical? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a show that has been in my life for as, as long as I have been working professionally. I had the mm. idea to write the musical in uh 2007 and uh i i got the idea because i was you know sort of always familiar with hunter s thompson and his work in a very sort of general way you know i kind of knew the caricature version of him that many people know if they know him and i knew mm-hmm. um fear and loathing in las vegas and i'd seen the movie and like read the book and stuff um but i was never like an obsessive you know i wasn't someone who's who's fully immersed in the hunter s thompson world when he died in 2005 uh, all of these articles started coming out where people were sort of giving these firsthand accounts of of life with him and experiences with him. And and it was that, it was like actual people who he had lived with talking about him that made me get really interested in who this guy was and how all of these stories um, painted this picture of this man who at, sometimes uh, the stories were so at odds with the sort of caricature that I that I knew of him what i thought about him and then sometimes they were like dead on with the caricature and even more extreme and so far as like mm-hmm. you know his his antics and the things that he would do and it was just so fascinating to me and then i got more and more into like 
watching interviews with him. And, and I just got really, I got really obsessed with like him as a person, as opposed to him as a public figure. And there, there's certainly been mm-hmm. a lot of things that have uh, pieces of art that have been made about that, you know, the, the tension between someone's public life and, and private life. But with him, because he, you know, invented this style of journalism called gonzo journalism, where you put yourself at the center of the story, um, this totally subjective take on reporting fact which is basically how everyone reports a fact right now. at the yeah. time at the time it was novel but at it was today, brazen in just, the 60s yeah it is not <laughs> yeah, so now, yeah now it's just like it's the world we live in it's which the way we are so yeah interesting um but it just it 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 it, it felt particularly um uh fertile the this idea of his you know who is hunter thompson uh, when, you know, all of his writing is about Hunter Thompson, essentially. And so, uh, yeah. And so I, I got the idea to write the musical and the La Jolla Playhouse commissioned me in 2008. And it took a lot of years to get it going. And uh, I started writing it for real in, in 2012. We had our first reading in 2015. And I revamped the whole show over the course of the pandemic in the summer 2020. And uh, we did a workshop last summer. And now we're finally doing this full production of this stinking thing. I mean, he's a big character. And like you say, like he did, it's, it is an interesting idea. The, the sort of life about a man who's unknowable, even though all he wrote about was himself. But I mean, we know him <laughs> yeah. mainly as Raul Duke or uncle Duke from mm-hmm. Doonesbury for, for some of yeah. us, like that is the, the version of Hunter S Thompson. We know, and he is a, a larger than life figure uh but i think it is lost and i that i'm I'm interested to see it because it, he's it's it's a he's a very he's so smart and erudite and you know he, his mm-hmm. his perception is so clear uh and it's that's the thing i think that gets lost because it's all you know sex drugs and rock and roll with with hunter s thompson his name is synonymous with that kind of wild behavior but his you know, if you've never read Fear and Loathing, you've never read his description of the, the chapter that I, I go back to and I show to students is when he and um, his associate, as he calls him, uh, his attorney, <laughs> uh, go into the circus circus and he describes what the circus circus is like. And he's like, I mean, one of the sentences is it's what the Third Reich would be doing every Saturday night if they'd won the war. And I just love that. That image, then having seen it in person, being like, "Yes, this is exactly what that." Like, I, I can. I, he he hit it on the the nail on the head, and <laughs> it's that kind of perception and that ability that gets sort of lost in the other, you know, the other st- the nonsense sort of surrounding it, which is a lot of fun. But his keen eye for that period of time, the sort of early seventies culture, is really really impressive. Uh, yeah, no, I I totally agree, and. Um... And, you know, it's like he was such a complicated man and 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 I I wanted to be true to that in writing this show. Mm. You know, I think we're really used to singing bio musicals or, or bio pieces of art that um, that take uh, someone's life story and they sort of filter it through the, you know, the bio musical filter. And so it's like, you know, they're young and they have a lot of problems and then they get passionate for something and then they get really famous and they have a fall from grace and then they're redeemed and then at the end they get like honored with the lifetime achievement award or or something is dedicated in their name like that's just like how it goes always always right and so i i was yeah and so i was like you know to write a, a thing that is about this man that sort of challenged that um, that form and also uh, allowed um, us to see what was great about Hunter S. Thompson and what was not so great about him as a mm. as a person and as a as a as a writer and and um, and so the the show kind of um, you know takes him to task and, and and tries to hold him accountable and and I think um, sort of you know poses the question to the audience was he was he worth it you know was this guy. Uh, uh, who has this really sort of problematic legacy uh, mm-hmm. in a number of ways? Is he, you know, is this is the good that he did worth all of the, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the bad thing that he did in his life? And I, I love, you know, trying to like um, to not necessarily answer that question for an audience and have the a lead character of, the, of a musical who is is complex and is. Um, you know, I wouldn't go so far to say he's like an anti-hero, but he's, he's, you know, he contradicts himself all the time in the way that mm-hmm. human beings do. And, and so I keep, you know, I keep feeling like this musical in, in some ways is like a, you know, it's sort of like a seventies 
movie or something, right? Where it's just like a a character study of a of a challenging man. Um, sure. You know, but with but with good tunes and puppets. Hey. <laughs> hey, well, there you go. Then what else do you need? Previews begin on uh, August 29th, and you just got extended, right? You're running into October now. Is that the we correct? did? We did, yeah. We're, yeah, we're, people are buying tickets to this thing, so we're going until October 8th at the La Jolla Playhouse, and then uh, and then the world. Fantastic. That's so yeah. that's so wonderful. I have to ask as we kind of wrap up a little bit. Um, what is your favorite song in the best little whorehouse in Texas? Oh my goodness. My favorite song. If I had to choose one, if I had to absolutely choose one, I would choose no lives. Oh, wow. Why is that? That's an interesting choice. Yeah. I love no lives because I think it's a really unexpected song mm-hmm. uh, for that that point in the show it's a it's a duet between mona and jewel played by dolores hall i love hearing um it's just the sort of song that women never get to sing in a show it's mm. them it's them you know basically saying the the world will kick you in the balls and that's just what it is and so you just have to muddle through you know it's like a, it mm-hmm. is it is but it's a it is it is it, and it does that without being cynical you know, it's just sort of like mm-hmm. we 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 can't win, and we just got to keep going. It does it without being cynical or without being sentimental. It's just like a it's like a telling it like it is that I actually think feels intrinsically southern. You know, I uh, my mm. uh, my dad's side of the family uh, came from West Virginia, and so I had a grandmother, Mommy Wee, who uh, was like a big southern woman, and it just reminds me so much of her, just like a straight shooting, uh, you know. <laughs> and, situation um and it's just like the song just cooks and it's like these two women and they're not talking about a guy talking about you know anything that has to do with um oh how how sad i am that my life is falling apart they're just like pissed off and they're allowed to be pissed off and they're allowed to we're allowed to see them try to get through it and they just sing it's just such a badass song and then at the end all of the women come in and it's you know hard candy christmas happens after that and hard candy christmas Mm -hmm. is so beautiful obviously and i love it but there's just something about no lies that it's like it's the sort of song that would get cut in two seconds usually in a show and it's just it feels so um integral to who these the women are and i just love it so much yeah the show it's it is not uh, you did say that's a that's a very good point this is not a sentimental show at all this is a show that knows exactly what it's about its characters are very very honest about who they are and what they're doing and it doesn't you know it's it's sort of wistful for bygone days it's like this is what we do and this is who we are and this is the deal yeah it's it's heartfelt but it's not sentimental Mm -hmm. right and there is a difference yes that's a very good distinction because then it verge, you can verge into saccharine if you get too sentimental about these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, Joe, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, yeah, it's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, this was so great. This is what a beautiful way to spend my lunch hour talking about whorehouse and other stuff. <laughs> Were you fixing to say a little something about how life don't seem too fair? Don't even start. Huh. Don't even start. Were you looking to get a little disappointed? Teardrop going there, don't make me laugh. Please don't touch my heart. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show. Go to bit.ly slash original cast store for original cast merchandise like t-shirts, tote bags, and more. Become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash original cast pod so you can listen to our bonus podcast, the original cast at the movies. On the socials, we're at original cast pod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Joe Iconis for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Who's that?